Hi there, I'm Amanda Stevens, and welcome to the Epic Podcast, where I explore the minds of some of the planet's most epic entrepreneurs, business leaders, and visionaries to unearth their incredible stories, their journey to success, how they do what they do, and most importantly, why. My hope is that you'll find some inspiration in each episode, some new ideas, or perhaps just a little motivation to build an epic business and life. And thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Epic Podcast. I hope wherever you are today, you're having an epic day or evening. Today, we're chatting with one of my favorite CEOs of one of my favorite brands. This woman is a force of nature and you're about to get swept up in her infectious energy and enthusiasm for her product, her brand, her industry and leadership in general. Pippa Hallis is the CEO of Ella Bache, a role she took on over a decade ago at just 33 from her father, John. As a third generation CEO, she had her doubters. She had big shoes to fill and she took over the business at a time of immense change and industry disruption. But she's proven herself with a range of bold moves and she's an inspiring example of the power of backing yourself and surrounding yourself with the best. And speaking of forces of nature, we have the epic Tina Tower back here with her Productivity Hack series. You're listening to the epic podcast with a glass and a half of epic goodness in every episode. But first things first, some epic music. Bachet is an 80-year-old multi-million dollar skincare brand steeped in deep tradition. A decade ago, it was taken over by Pippa Hallis, who was just 33 years old and a third generation CEO. Since taking on the role, her task has been to steer the company through some of the greatest disruptions the industry has ever seen. These include the rise of the empowered consumer, the rapid growth of fast food beauty, and pivotal changes to the buying behaviour and brand loyalty of new generations. Under her leadership, Ella Bache has expanded to over 150 franchise locations across the country. Her unrivaled ability to anticipate market trends has also ensured that their growing product range has really cut through the beauty industry noise to win the hearts and minds of consumers and the praise of press and industry awards. Pippa, welcome to the Epic Podcast. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I am... Um... I've had the opportunity to listen to a few and so I feel really privileged to be here. Well, we are excited to have you on the show. Um, Now, when you took over Ella Bache from your father, John, a decade ago, you were just 33 years old. That must have been a fairly daunting time. Um, What would you say was your greatest fear in taking over the empire? Um, (laughs) Probably uh, ruining uh, the, the last. 55 years of my family's um, achievements in building a brand. So, you know, having that legacy on my shoulders was was um, was a, was a, was obviously a big fear, fear of failing. Uh, and then the second one was just trying to get my head around wearing, you know, I'm not into titles, but wearing the badge of a CEO probably took me a good three years to to really grow into. Mm. You actually talk a lot in your book about imposter syndrome. You're very, you're refreshingly honest about it. Um, and 
you say, you know, being as young as you were and having all of the pressure of the legacy, um, you in the role, how did, how did imposter syndrome sort of manifest itself in how you showed up to staff and in external meetings? And, and more importantly, how did you overcome it? Uh, yeah, so I think I think for me it was um, I felt really really comfortable in my own skin when I uh, you know was head of marketing and and that was my comfort zone and you know I found myself just introducing myself as head of marketing in many many cases external to the business for you know for for a long time after um, even filling in forms when you go out you know when you fly out of the airport it's like you know what's your profession I was much much more comfortable with writing, um, you know, head of marketing. So it was something I was really aware of. I think, um, you know, when when you're in the role of uh, CEO at a brand like this, you've got, you've got a lot of stakeholders, you've really got to sell your vision, there's a lot of passion, a lot of people that you've got to take on on the journey. So for me, um, whether it was walking into a boardroom and, you know, I've, I've got a fantastic board around me who were, who were here 10 years ago and, um, and I'm so appreciative of their support but it was you know they're men and and you know a bit bit older than me so I really had to be very very clear and back myself on um on on the vision I had um there was a lot of faking it uh, going on on the outside I think you know I was very I was probably uh, very calm and poised on the outside but there was you know that whole duck underwater situation was going on and and how I how I over uh, came that in many situations was just to be so over prepared that um, you know I had I had very little room for error once I once I got onto that stage as such. Mm. And you talk um, you also talk a lot about being I guess almost surprised at how few female leaders there were and also the reaction that a lot of people had to you being a young female CEO, even of a, of a female brand, essentially. And you talk about one particular, um, particular case where someone suggested that you, um, tell everyone that you're a lesbian, it would make them feel more comfortable. (laughs) I couldn't believe that. It was so random. And I, I, I honestly, I still can't get my head around that, that situation, but it was, I had joined a fantastic global business group and you know it's no reflection on the group because they're they're really fantastic as a network um but this one particular incident was my first my first introduction to this group and and I think for some reason this uh male CEO had given me this random advice to to shock people when I introduced myself to them but you know, in my mind, I was like, do you understand how many things are wrong with what you just said then? So, um, you know, but I think unfortunately we're still, as women, we've, we've obviously come a long way, um, you know, in leadership roles, but there's still a long way to go. So um, I still find myself making sure that if I'm, you know, the, the, the solo voice in a room, being the female voice and and if I don't have um, a common commonality of what's been said around the table, that it's it's really my role to make sure I play that black hat in the room and put put my voice on the table. Mm. How much does the story of Ella Bache inspire and shape you in your sort of day to day management style? Oh, massively. So you know, I think I've only become very aware of this 
you know, in my as I've as I've become, you know, a bit older. But um, you know, I think you, you, everyone, you know, Ella, Ella just happened to be one of my, um, you know, my predecessors in my family as well as in the organisation. And you know, for all of us, I think we we subconsciously or consciously draw on the values that our um, that our family have created when when you know making decisions or when um, when treating people a certain way or approaching different situations. So I think consciously I do it, uh, especially if I'm faced with a difficult decision, I draw back on on uh, what Ella would have done. But if, you know, in my daily life, I think we, we all do it unconsciously. And I know one of your favourite quotes is, well-behaved women rarely make history, which I love. Um, <laughs> do, you, do you think that women, even today, when you say we've come so far, do you think that women who are breaking the mould are perceived to be badly behaved? I think sometimes they can, definitely. And I think, you know, this is a real, I think it's a really complex issue um, that I'm certainly no expert on, but I think anyone who sticks their head above water, it doesn't, don't have to be a female. I mean, it you know, it can be a male artist or um, it can be anyone who, who goes against the grain or is a, is a change maker. Um, you're always going to be quite polarising. And so I think just adding, adding the gender um, mix into that is, is, is probably going to highlight it even more. But I think, I think it, it's regardless of gender. Mm, is it though? Because I know that there's a lot of research and a lot of discussion at the moment that a male CEO versus a female CEO could make exactly the same decisions, but the female will be less liked for those decisions or she'll perceive to be, um, you know, a bitch, for example, if she makes difficult, hard decisions, particularly around people, um, whereas men seem to, the, the, the acceptance is that they can make tough decisions and be a bit tougher without... Um, but still be liked. Yeah, and I, that's the stereotype, isn't it? And that's the, that's the, um, yeah, that's the. I don't know the the horrible um, past that we've got to try and break free. And and look, I agree with you. I think there's still very much that that st- stigma out there. But I think I don't know. I'm try. I'm a, I'm an eternal optimist, so I try and look at the positives. And I think. You know what's what we're seeing in leadership and in organisations today is that, you know, that whole uh, emotional intelligence and soft skills and connecting with people and collaborating with people are, are really where it's at at the moment. And and as technology gets more and more um, prevalent in our working lives, I think it's going to be more important for leaders to to hone in on that. So. Um, I, I don't know. I think I think we're on a tipping point, hopefully. And you know, I've I read a lot about um, Brene Brown and her work she's done on vulnerability, and it's 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 pretty confronting for for everyone um, where leadership could go. So I think, um, in particular, females are are pretty plugged into into that type of thinking, which is which is exciting. Mm, and you certainly are. You've made um, some pretty bold moves in the last decade. Um, looking back over the last ten years um, of your journey as CEO of Ella Bache, what do you think has been your boldest move? Um, I think there's been a number of things. I think um, you know, just signing up to the role and taking it on, obviously, and the massive learning curve um, that you that you go on when you take a big change in your life. Um, I think one of the first decisions I made as CEO was to back Jessica Watson. 
um, someone who I think is an absolute legend in my eyes and, you know, she's a she's only tw- 26 now. So, um, you know, for me that was a moment in time when I knew that the brand – um, you know, we had to we had to push ourselves out there again and get some attention, and um, and do it in a way that really celebrated our values. Which is, you know, going back to Ella, is about um, giving you know strong, innovative women a go. And Jess really, really was is one of those women. So, there, but there was enormous criticism that came with that decision, and and obviously enormous risk. So, I think that was my first. Um, my first, you know, high risk, high reward moment um, being a CEO. And then, you know, along the way, just just leading change. I think, um, as you know, change is happening faster than ever before. And, and when you have the, the privilege to, to, you know, be at the head of a company that, that um, has thousands of people working, working for it and in it and around it, you have to drive that change constantly. It's no longer, you know, a change moment, I guess, and then it goes back to normal. It's it's part of the way we, we live our lives today. So driving change is, is something that's that's um, that's been challenge challenging, but also I've learned a, an enormous amount around. Mm, and you're an industry that is changing um, probably faster and more dramatically than than a lot. What have been some of the changes or evolutions in the sector that perhaps have taken you by surprise? I think, gosh, there's so many. I think, you know, even literally an hour ago, I was having conversation with our marketing team around, you know, just making sure that we're making the best decisions possible to be, you know, sustainable and, um, you know, uh, true to to, to the environment and I think there's been such a massive wave across a lot of industries in particular the beauty industry where people um, and not just the younger generation it's you know multi-generational that they're demanding packaging you know better packaging decisions uh, better ingredient decisions uh, authenticity and transparency so it's um it's a it's a wonderful time to be able to you know lead in a really good way like that but it's it's these Movements are happening happening really quickly right across the globe. And the other, you know, I guess aspect of particularly skincare and beauty that has really evolved in the last decade is, of course, is influencer marketing. Um, now you made a bold move, uh, a risky move, when you appointed Jessica Watson as kind of an ambassador for the brand ten years ago. But since then, you must have felt the, um, I guess, the pressure to ride the influencer marketing wave, which you kind of haven't um, really, you've sort of maintained a really true, authentic voice for the for the brand. How have you navigated those decisions? Yeah, I kind of see, you know, the definition of influencer a lot broader than some other um you know some other brands do I think I think the notion of influence can come from a lot of different places and uh, you know one of the and I guess even writing a book was um was you know an influencer lever that I that I pulled and not that I set out to do that but um, I don't think it has to be a celebrity influencer program. I think it can be, you know, some of our amazing um, skin therapists within this business. They, they're influencers in their own right, you know, educating people on 
the skin and ingredients and techniques and uh, technology um, to, to, to ensure you get uh, healthy skin. I think influence can, can come from anywhere, um, but certainly there has been a big celebrity, uh, you know, wave that, that we've, we've had to ride in our own way, I guess. This episode of the Epic Podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Storage King. When you're building an epic business and life, sometimes you have to store some excess stuff. It could be furniture, retail stock, or even somewhere to house the epic ideas that you're going to have after listening to this show. If that's you, speak to the awesome kings and queens at Storage King. In fact, they have a special introductory offer for Epic Podcast listeners to get you started. Simply head over to storageking.com.au slash epic to learn all about it. So even when you ha- when you do have a superior product technically, how do you bring that to market in a sector that is so crowded with claims and innovation um, and, a, and a pretty probably confused and overwhelmed consumer? Oh, completely. There is so much out there at the moment. It's, um, it's nuts really. And I think, you know, certainly we saw that a few years ago with the rise of obviously social media, which we we're just talking about, and also you know these these amazing online brands that have that, that have just risen faster than than um, any other brands have uh, you know globally before. So I guess you know first and foremost you have to be different and you have to have a really strong point of view in the market. You have to have a strong purpose, and you know I've always lived through by this saying that that if you're different and everyone's zigging and you're zagging, then um, then your voice shouldn't get lost in the market and and really know who your customer base is. So um, as a brand, you know, we've got a we've got a really, really loyal customer base and that's that's you know probably because our products are uh, they do work. We don't promise miracles, and they get the results that that you know certainly our our customers deserve. But we need to make sure our voice is is um, different and it's relevant, and we're taking that educa- strong education, thought leadership um, message to market, but but with a really unique personality. Mm. And how do you maintain, or how do you keep across? What is going on with your your consumer base? We know that consumers are, are changing faster than they ever have before. Uh, consumer expectations, in particular, are changing, and you know they're so much more educated now, or think they're very educated um, in you know in this particular type of purchase um, when it comes to ingredients and efficacy and all of that. So, what is your strategy, and how has that evolved to really keep close to your customers? Yeah, I think there's a number of things. I think I, I'm such a big believer in just going out and talking to people. Um, so I try and spend as much time as I can, you know, in in stores and talking to to the yellow bache therapists. This, I mean, they're on the, you know, they're they're treating customers in a very uh, intimate environment each and every day. So they can see what the problems are on the on the skin, and they can see, you know, certainly hear what the problems are. Um, from the consumer because they they generally open up to these guys so much it's they're much more than just a skin therapist in many ways they they are a therapist, therapist so, stuff. <laughs> um, 
you know, there's not there's nothing like having those human to human conversations. I think, you know, the 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 best part of technology is it allows you to get um, consumer feedback instantly. So, you know, whether it's from ratings or online feedback uh, forums or you know net promote net promoter scores or, um, yeah, there's, there's a whole bunch of data that we, we pull into this business on a daily basis. And how do you balance the data with intuition and going with your gut? So I, I'm one of these people that uh, tends to put my, my gut first and make sure I can back it up with data as opposed to the other way around. I, I think, um, you know, we can, because we've got so much data available to us these days, there's never it's never ending so I find you know you can easily sit in a sit in a conversation and you 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 know you see a data point and you get an insight then you want another one and you you keep getting you know kind of dragged down this rabbit hole a little bit so um I think if you can get the anecdotal feedback from the customers and the people you work with and you can back that up with data then then that's the perfect balance Mm. So looking back over the last 10 years, Pippa, what would you have done differently? I'm still learning this, that, that, it's, that it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. And, um, you know, I think I, I write about this in my book a little bit that I, I'm really good at saying yes and I hate missing out. So it's a, it's a personality thing and, and, you know, especially, you know, being a, uh, I, d- I don't like saying working mum because we don't say working dads, but being a mum of two, you know, small boys, and and um, and I don't want to miss out on their life, but I have to, I have to constantly remind myself that if something's not an amazing yes, then it's a hard no, and and learning to say to say no more often because I should be, I should be with my kids. Mm. I mean, and you do pack a lot in. You're not only. Um, obviously the CEO of a multi-million dollar brand um, and you've got a number of moving parts but you're a mum and of course you have recently written a book uh, what did you learn from that experience? Yeah I I, I guess I, I I went in and wrote the book um, because I had the opportunity to to tell the Ella Bache story which had never been told before I mean lots of most Australians know who Ella Bache is but no one knows no one really knew she was a person and no one really knew about her her personal journey so I I went in because I wanted to share that story because it's such an amazing story but what I got out of it was um was something completely different and I wanted to share other Australian stories so Jessica Watson, Lane Beachley, all these amazing women that I've I've been so fortunate in my role to to work with along the way and and what I got out of it was the generosity of these women and how awesome they are just to be so open and honest and um, authentic with their with their message and, and also their time. Mm. And is that, do you think that that's a strength of female leadership? Like obviously in writing the book you explored that a little bit. So mm. what, what do you think is, um, makes a good female leader? Um, look, I think, I think there's a couple of things. I certainly you know, for, for everyone, right? You really have to know what you want. Um, and I think you need to reinvest in yourself. And I constantly, I take, you know, for me, it can work so differently for a lot of people, but for me, I take a week or 10 days out at the beginning of each year and I make sure that I, you know, fill up my bucket and 
uh, get really curious and go and learn a whole bunch of new stuff from um, anywhere in the world. And for me, that allows me to, to, to set a vision for the year and to know where we're going. Um, it also allows me to know, you know, who I need around the table or on my team. And then it allows me to create a daily plan to, um, to, to put it into action. But I, I think it's, I think it's just the leadership style and, you know, for me, I can only speak for myself and not, not all women, but I, I love collaborating with people and I, I you know, I, I don't like sitting in my office alone. I'd much rather be out talking to people and, and um, creating ideas, but there has to be a vision and that's, that's my role to create that. And you talk a lot in the book about backing yourself and the importance of backing yourself, but does it ever get lonely um, being the CEO and, and sometimes really needing to make the tough calls and the tough decisions? Do you ever feel that sense of loneliness? Uh, yeah, I do. I do. But I think something I learnt a long time ago as well is, you know, for for the first, you know, little while when I stepped up into the CEO role, I kind of went, wow, this is really lonely up here. Um, and I thought I had to go it alone, but then I and pr- and proved to the world that I could I could do it alone. But then I I realised that um, the the power and and the importance of getting people around you and people you can trust and and whether you know that's so I selected a few different role models from outside the business um, who I could ring when um, you know everything hit the fan and just have a really honest conversation with them and and they can. I could I could talk my way through it, through the the problem solving with them. So that was probably a second lesson is you don't have to go it alone. There's a lot of other amazing people in the same situation. It's just about creating a a network around you mm, and having having that solid advisory board, as you say. And are they all women? Ah, uh, no, they're not actually. There's there's a, a balance of. Um, of men and women and you know some have come into my life organically and some I've gone out and 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 gone you know what I really need to strengthen you know a certain part of my knowledge base and and get this person around me so I've I've approached them or or networks mm-hmm. so you know whole different whole different types of people female male different age groups etc so what could you share pippa um what would your advice be uh, to someone, you know, we might have listeners who are stepping up into a, a senior management role or wanting to launch their own um, business in the leadership role. What are what are the the key lessons or advice that you could share to someone who's really um, stretching themselves and going into uncharted territory? Yeah, look, I think I think just going back to to what we what we mentioned before, I think first and foremost, you have to know where you where you want to be. So whether that's in you know a year's time or five years time, and then and then chunk it back and and make sure you're taking daily action to achieve that goal. Um, I think so many people get caught out with this big, amazing, fantastic uh, plan for for you know five years, but they don't link it back to what they're doing each and every day. Um, for me, I use my calendar and my diary to hold me you know, to account. So I'll block out, you know, whether it's an hour or two hours in the morning when, when I, my brain works the best and I'll use that time to, to take those daily actions to, to really make sure uh, when I'm sitting down in 12 months time that I've, you know, progressed in, in the right direction. 
So that's the that's the first one. Uh, the second one is um, making sure you've got the right people around you and, um, you know, whether that's role models, whether that's networks, whether that's signing up to blogs and, and you know, t doing 10 minutes of reading each morning or night on your mobile phone, but it's constantly um, having the right people around you. Um, number three is, is lonely, learning. So I think, you know, we're – we certainly don't know it all, even if we, you know, we're supposed to as a CEO um, and constantly making sure that, that your own journey continues and you're learning about, you know, what's going on globally in the, in the forefront of business or communications or product or skin or whatever it is. So you stay really energized and excited. Mm. So they're probably my top three. Okay. And in all of that, you obviously place a lot of pressure on yourself or you have high expectations um, on your own performance. Do you feel more pressure from external forces or do you think you place more pressure on yourself? Um, probably myself. Uh, I've always, you know, ever since I was really young, I've always been um, – you know, in a hurry and I wouldn't say ambitious because I think that's got a negative connotation to it. But I think I I I I just want to I, I want to do a lot and I want to experience a lot and I want to do it well. So that drive definitely comes um, from internally. I think, you know, we all, all of us are only human and I think we all, um, you know, want to want to look like we're doing well at everything and again I've been reading a lot around uh, Brene Brown around vulnerability and shame and not feeling good enough and just being really conscious of that and um, but I think I learned when I was when I was quite young that that most people are so worried about themselves and putting pressure on themselves that they they don't necessarily you know judge as much as each other feels so I think definitely the pressure comes from internally. So what's on the horizon for Pippa for 2020? Can you share sort of what, have you sort of thought about your goal setting for, for next year? Uh, yes. So I, uh, I, as I mentioned before, my, my January is start off with, you know, a couple of, couple of weeks with my kids and just get myself recharged and really clear for the year ahead. Um, and then at the end of January, I'll, I'll go to the US and go to a, uh, top business school for a week and and learn some amazing things and meet some amazing human beings and then um, come back and and set the strategy ahead for the the team which uh, which which no doubt will will mean some exciting things such as uh, you know new channels new markets um, some amazing communications new products new treatments there's always a lot of stuff going on in this business so. Mm. Um, it's, it's certainly never boring. Mm, exciting stuff. Well, Pippa, we really um, are very grateful for you sharing your insights today. Um, Thank you. On your Thanks journey. so much for having me. Yeah, what an amazing journey you've had and we can't wait to see where it goes next. So all the best. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Amanda. Have an awesome day. Thank you, you too. Don't you just love Pippa Hallis's energy? So for me, here were the three takeouts from that epic interview. Number one, set your strategy and stay the course. Pippa is operating a business in an industry, like many of us, that's changing rapidly. Consumers are changing, it's a noisy market, and there's fads galore. But Pippa is disciplined to set her strategy and stick to it. Number two, back yourself and your decisions. 
Pippa has made some pretty bold moves since taking over as CEO and has, by her own admission, suffered from time to time from imposter syndrome. But she's been brave enough to be vulnerable, go with her gut and trust her instincts, even when people doubted her. And number three, stay curious and be a lifelong learner. Pippa is an avid learner, not just on a daily and weekly basis, but she takes herself off to the best business school in the world each year to get educated. I sense that it's this level of curiousness, openness and professional and personal development that has enabled her to navigate some of the more tougher decisions she's had to make in the last decade. I loved that chat and I hope you did too. And make sure you grab a copy of Pippa's book, Bold Moves. The link is in the show notes. All right, well, it's time for our productivity hack segment with our resident productivity hack expert, Tina Tower. Hey, Tina. Hello, Amanda. Hey, today we're going to talk about avoiding overwhelm with systems. Now, you are the systems queen. Yeah, Um, I love a good system. You love a good system. Um, Can you tell us why systems are so important? Yeah. Um, So, I mean, like most people in business, we learn our lessons the hard way. Uh, So when I was 20, I started my first business. And when I was 24, I had a baby. And, you know, like most women that have babies, we think it's not going to affect our lives at all. And everything's going to run smoothly and the same. And my business was a seven day a week business. And I realized when he was born and I had to take time out if he was sick or something happened, I had screwed myself because I didn't have the knowledge to create the systems. And so in the end, I had to completely reinvent that business. Um, And then we started licensing and franchising. And so when we started franchising, part of that is you have to systemize everything because essentially you're giving people your whole recipe to how to make the business successful. So everything that you do, there has to be a system for it. Um, so that's kind of how my systems journey came about. Um, and the benefit of systems is you don't have to do everything, um, which, you know, most people in business, I think are natural control freaks, maybe mm. a little mm. bit. Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so systemizing really gives you a framework to be able to hand stuff over there as well. So I think that's why it is so important for everyone to be able to to have systems. So how, for those listening who are, you know, that typical A-type entrepreneur, mm-hmm. um, a little bit, well, I'll say chaotic and disorganised, as some people tend to be, I'm looking at myself really, um, how do we get started on systems yeah, good question. Um, so, I mean, for, it depends on on what size your organization is. So if you're starting off and you're a solopreneur, a lot of people will say there's no point in make, me making systems because it's just me. Um, but it is. So an example is at the moment, so at the moment I'm right in book launch for my new book, One Life. Give it a little shameless plug there. Um, but when I was calm, I made systems for everything that was to come. And this morning as I'm packing for different things and media things and all the things that we're doing, I've got a checklist and a system for everything. And this morning as I was doing that, I was going, gosh, old me really looked after future Tina 
in this moment because in this moment when you're going through those sprints in business and everything kind of goes okay you've really got to step up your game and just be really on here you don't have the headspace to think about okay what have I got to do this and what have I got to do next and have I got everything here like you don't want to be wasting space on Mm, that Uh, and so when you go through things and you're preparing things if you actually document them every time you do something so every time you do something if you're ever going to repeat it again put a system for that make a checklist make make the procedure with how you do it I mean even down to simple things like weekly when you're sending your newsletter or producing your podcast or whatever it is if you've got a step-by-step even if it's just you whenever you go to do that next if you follow your system to do it the amount of thinking that that saves in your mind it allows you to do it much quicker and then allows you to keep all of that higher order thinking for the stuff that you don't know how to do yet so you've got a lot more energy and you don't get that kind of decision fatigue so starting that I build all of mine on google sites because I mean, it's been around for yonkers and there's probably there's probably some amazing sophisticated software that you can do it a lot better now. Um, but because it's what I've always used and it, it works so beautifully and it's free <laughs> when you've got a Google account, which I quite like. Um, and so we put everything on there and it works exactly the same as, you know, a few weeks ago I went to hire staff. And so I type into my Google site, hiring staff, and then up comes the whole checklist with okay, this is where we place the ad. This is the text for the ad. This is the image for the ad we use. These are the phone interview questions. This is a job description. Everything's already there. So I have to think of nothing. Mm, so it just completely takes that um, that thinking and, as you say, that repetitive uh, effort out. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, does oversystemizing take the fun and spontaneity out of things is there ah I get this question all the time yeah um no no it does not so to me people will say to me does over systemizing like take the creativity out of it um but I think it does the opposite. So to me, having everything systemized actually gives me more creativity because it means that I've got more time to spend on the really fun stuff rather than having to spend all that effort and energy on the stuff that I should already be able to do. Uh, And it means that once that's put there, you can definitely put your own flavor on it, change it up. It doesn't mean that it's like stuck in stone forever. It can be agile. but you don't want to be wasting brain space on doing something that you do all the time and having to think about it. It's the same with, I always wonder why people don't have packing lists when they go away. And the amount of people when I do packing and I'll put like a photo of a checklist or something on Instagram stories and people are like, oh my gosh, can you send me that? And these are people that go traveling all the time. I'm like, how do you not have packing lists. I mean, I have work packing lists. I have packing lists for summer holidays, winter holidays, snow holidays, like all of the different ones and for the kids. So whenever we've got something on, I just have to print that off, check it off. And I don't have to think, oh, what else do we need? Am I going to miss something? Nothing's ever forgotten. It's fantastic. That is so impressive. How many systems do you reckon you have for life and business? Hundreds, (laughs) hundreds. I mean, I've got, I take systemizing to a next level, (laughs) which you've probably gotten onto. I've got one for business, which is on the Google sites. And I've got a Google site for personal as well. So I have it even down to like the dog, where you get the dog food from, when her vet visits are, all the insurances, because you know how many insurances we have in our life and if that's not all documented somewhere 
if you want to look up kind of, you know, what's your superannuation? What's, you don't have to go to a filing cabinet and fi- find all of that stuff. Like it's all just there, organised. Um, so it saves a heap, a heap of time. Would you be happy, Tina, for us to share some of your uh, systems in the show notes for today? Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. I'll pop a couple of the ones that are most requested in there. Yeah, that's and fine. Actually I we- mean, even I have a system, there's a page on my Google sites that if Tina dies and it's got instructions <laughs> for what to do because, do you know, if you I don't die, know why like I'm laughing, freeze- but seriously... If Tina, <laughs> there's a system for if Tina does. They, they change everything. So I'm the kind of provider for my family. So it really does freak me out to go, yeah. if the unthinkable was to happen, I don't want to make that situation any worse for them. So it's kind of instructions with this is where everything is. This is where everything works. This is my, <laughs> how to get everything from the bank. All of the different details there are all there. Yeah. So you, you are literally able to be a control freak from the grave. I am. Yes. Yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> well, that is uh, definitely taking systems to a whole new level, but it really does make sense. And of course, systemizing takes the stress and the thinking and the chaos out of life and business. So we really um, thank you for sharing those tips on systems to avoid overwhelm. We will thank see you. you or hear you on the next episode, Tina. Thank you. Thank you. And of course, you can learn more about Tina's coaching, her programs and her amazing new book, One Life at tinatower.com. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Epic Podcast. I hope that you're feeling inspired to go and do, create or manifest something epic in your life. And if you're feeling inspired, perhaps give this episode an epic share on your favourite socials. I would be epically grateful. I'm Amanda Stevens, and I'll catch you on the next episode of the Epic Podcast.